Hello and welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I'm Bridget Doherty of the Solidago School of Herbalism, coming to you from a bridged island on the coast of Maine. In today's show, I'm getting back to the grind, getting back into the podcasting, just going to catch you up on what I've been up to in the herbal realm and what we have to look forward to. Before we get started, I want you to know that I'm not a doctor, nor do I diagnose or treat people. What I share is based on my own experience and what I've learned from my mentors. Ultimately, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the common plants that grow all around you. Together, let's make home herbalism be as common in the everyday household as cooking a healthy meal. Now, without further ado, let's have some fun and dig in. Hey, 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 I'm back. Thank you so much for sticking with the Healthier podcast. I took an unexpected break this summer. It just, summer just got really busy, as I'm sure it does for everyone. And I was really tired and I just needed to sleep (laughs) during the time that I normally would do the podcasting. But I see that people are still listening and you've taken time to check out some of the past episodes. So I'm grateful for that. Thanks for hanging in there. And I'm happy to be back. And so let's see, what do I want to talk about today? Well, I basically want to just touch base, check in, talk a little bit about the season, fun little things that I've been doing, and just kind of to get back into the flow of the podcast. I've noticed that and maybe you can rate, relate that, you know, we, we get into a momentum, we get into a habit of doing things like the podcast for me was every week for well over a year. And then I just dropped the ball. And it took me it was hard to pick it back up. I was like, Oh, my gosh, okay. So here I am, I'm picking up that ball. So we're just going to roll with it today and see what happens. But first, I want to talk about well, I thought the autumn equinox would be a great time to jump back in. And really, for me, this is not the beginning of fall. This, for me, is the climax of fall. This is the height of the season. And really, for me, and I think a lot of people that work with the plants and in gardens and farming, we really realize that the true shift of seasons happens right at the beginning of August, for Lamas, the harvest, the beginning of the harvest time, the harvest full moon. And then we start to see like a steady decline away from the growth season and into the harvest and the retreat season, especially up here in Maine. So for me, the equinox, now we're in the middle of fall and where the light is 
equal or close to being equal. And from here on out, the nights are getting longer than the days. And we're really kind of over that hill and (laughs) rolling down that hill toward winter. And for me, winter starts um, right around Halloween or Samhain at that cross-quarter holiday of the wheel of the year when we really enter into the darkness and where all the plants are really, really beginning and have not only begun to retreat, but are mostly already retreated back into the soil. So what have I been up to lately? Well, I have been cutting the gardens back. Um, Basically, if the plants look like they've done their deal, if they've already started to go to seed, if all of their leaves are starting to brown or yellow, and if it's convenient, I'll just cut the most perennials, unless they're woody, shrubby perennials, right to the ground and compost their aerial parts. Or maybe they've already been harvested for teas and herbal medicines or whatnot. I really feel like fall is the time of the mints, especially the peppermints and like the minty mints, peppermints and spearmints and even lemon balm. They really are, you know, blooming and they love to be cut back this time of year. So now's the time if you have mints that are in bloom, you can cut them right back to the ground, dry them or make remedies with them. And they'll be happier for it come springtime. I used to have this big patch of chocolate mint, which was taking over my garden. And I and I was ready to just kind of throw my hands up and give the garden to the chocolate mint. And because I love chocolate mint, it's awesome. And there was one winter I didn't get around to cutting it back to the ground. And that next spring, it none of it came back up and it hasn't come back since. And I had heard previously to that, that, you know, sometimes a lot of mint family plants or especially like catnip or... Um, other mints, you know, if they don't get that final cutback in the winter or just before winter in the late fall, then sometimes they won't come back. So t- it's time to cut back your mints, make mint vinegars and honeys and shrubs, oxymels, tinctures, dry them for tea. It's such a great time to really get into the mints. And they tend to be so abundant this time of year. I'll have to do a podcast. Up, I'm kind of dreaming up different podcast episodes that I want to get into. As now that I'm back on the horse, back on the saddle again, or however that saying goes, I'll have to do one on general mints. So one thing I made last night that I was really excited about that I'd love to share with you is a beet carrot ginger tea. And I basically, we had um, beets and carrots as our veggie for dinner last night. And I basically just threw, they were small, and I just threw them in a pot together. I didn't peel them or anything, and I just let them boil for a while, probably like 45 minutes or so. And then I took them off the heat, and, you know, I had this nice broth, this beautiful purple sweet 
broth that was left over from the vegetables. I took the vegetables out, peeled the skin off of the beets, chopped them up, and we had them with dinner. It was delicious. But then with that small amount of broth that I had still in the pot, I poured it into a quart jar. But what I did first is I had recently bought some fresh ginger from the local farmer's market that still had the stalk and leaves on it. So I cut the stalk and leaves off of the fresh ginger and I chopped up what still looked good for the stalk and leaves, which had this really beautiful, light ginger, lemony smell and delicate flavor to it. So I chopped all that up and I put it in the jar, in the quart jar for the ball canning jar first. And then I poured the broth on top of it and then I covered it with a tight lid. So I had this lovely ginger carrot beet tea, essentially, or decoction um, that I let steep while I ate dinner. And then I had it as a dessert drink and it was delicious. It was still warm. It was sweet. It was nourishing and it tasted delightful. So I highly recommend doing that. Also with the another bunch of the beets that I had got from the same farmer's market I got the ginger from, I made my first time making beet kvass. I've always wanted to make it. And for some reason, I don't know, I was always intimidated or I always knew that I wanted to get you know, really nice, good, healthy, fresh beets from a local farm to do so since I'm not growing any myself. So I finally had some and I looked up a recipe and it really could not be any easier. So kvass is basically a fermented beet beverage and you basically rough chop some beets and fill a quart jar maybe halfway full with the chopped beets and then fill it all the way full with water and a teaspoon of salt. And you cover it with a tight lid in the mason jar and you just let it sit on your counter. And you're gonna shake it up so the salt kind of dissolves into the water. And then every day you just burp it. So you open the lid just for a second to relieve any pressure if you don't have a fancy fermentation lid that bubbles out the air and just let it sit on your counter for like a week so I started it last Sunday so it's not quite ready yet but it is starting to bubble a little bit and the beets expanded that's why you don't want to fill your jar with beets I guess because they did kind of expand with the water but I'm excited to taste that and see how that progresses so easy so simple the other thing that I have done recently that's been top on my list of something to get done is to make some fresh yarrow tincture. So yarrow really has its prime bloom time, the wild white yarrow, which is what I love to use medicinally. And I love to always make yarrow tincture every year. So I have plenty of it in rotation. And the yarrow... Um, you know, it had its prime bloom time, maybe the end of June into July when it's nice and hot. And I missed that because life. And now we're in the fall. And if you notice, like 
there will be kind of a second bloom of a lot of flower, a lot of wild weeds. Like I've seen some dandelions blooming, some St. Jones wort blooming, some yarrow blooming, red clover blooming, you know, flowers that kind of take a little break in the dog days of August and they're kind of worn out. But then once it gets a little bit cooler and the days get a little shorter, they're like, oh my gosh, okay, last hurrah, let's make our last bit of seeds that we can kind of pump out before winter comes, or at least that's what I imagine they're saying. And so if you missed making any remedies in the summer, sometimes you can make even a smaller amount of remedy in the fall if you can find the fall blooming weeds that you're looking for. So luckily, I was able to find um, a nice patch of yarrow that was mostly seed heads, but then also had some brand new flowers on it. I cut all of it back. I took the seed heads and I took them to another garden and spread them around, which I find is a great way to create yarrow patches if you just find some brown flower tops from this summer cut them down and just bring them to wherever you want to start um, a yarrow patch. Ideally, it's on some bare dirt. It might not work so well if it's like on grass, but if there's kind of garden area or some sort of bare dirt or compost or something where the seeds can kind of take hold. And I just drop, you know, I might kind of shake the flower heads, but I mostly just kind of drop them in place and let the winter, the fall and the winter kind of do their work. And usually in the spring, lots of little baby yarrows will start growing there. So it's a great way to spread the yarrow patches around. But I also harvested the fresh yarrow, the stalks of the blooming white flowers, and that also have some leaves on them. And I took them home and I stripped the leaves from the stem and cut off the flower heads and the really kind of tough stems I set those aside I want to do something with them I don't know what so then I have a basket basically full of the whole leaves and the flower heads and I gather them up in my hand in a big clump and I take scissors and then slowly cut and kind of shave away so I'm cutting really mincing basically the yarrow with scissors from my hand so that I chop it up really finely and then I pack it into a jar I don't like pack it super super tight but I really put as much as I can into a jar so last night I was able to fill up a quart jar of minced yarrow from it was a pretty large bunch that I had of yarrow quite large it kind of took a lot of plant material to actually fill that jar which is what you want you really want to chop it up really small anytime you make a tincture of fresh plant material so that you can get as much in there and then you're also having exposing a lot more surface area of the plant material for better extraction and then I took my hundred proof vodka that I got at my local grocery store. 100 proof vodka is 50% alcohol and 50% water, which I find works really well. 
And I filled the jar to the top, covering all of the plant material with the vodka. And then I put a tight lid on it. And I'm just going to let that sit for at least a couple months, probably. Now, it's funny, I felt really pressured to make this yarrow tincture and to get it done this year because my husband um, basically told me that, you know, he had all these friends that he'd really turned on to the yarrow tincture and that I had that he'd already promised his friends that I would make tincture for them, which I think is actually quite telling because these are people who are great. I love them all, you know, but they aren't really necessarily into herbalism or wild, wild weeds. Um, and I think they all kind of see me as a little, you know, the witchy wife or whatever. But my, so originally, and even my husband's not huge into herbs or herbalism, which you know something, you know it really works when you turn a non-believer onto herbs and then they start turning all their friends onto, onto herbs. But so my husband used to work and still does some time on lobster boats where you're always getting you know, some sort of wound cut or injured. Um, and then if you get any sort of, you know, rotten fish or bait into your wounds, or you get stabbed by a lobster, and then you get some fish guts in there, um, you can get really bad blood poisoning, and a really bad infection. And so my um, husband would take the yarrow and he would have it in his boat bag and he would just spray it on any wound that he got and he would always be able to prevent any sort of infection. So recently one of his friends got pretty bad bait poisoning and my husband gave him the yarrow tincture to spray on it. He gave it his right out of his boat bag and and it went away really quickly, and his friend was like, oh my gosh, I need some of that. So Burns, my husband, said, okay, well, I'll get you some. So, And then so then he, my husband came to me and was like, so I need some yarrow tincture for this friend. It worked really well. He's already used his whole bottle up that I gave him. I was like, okay, well, I'm almost out. Like, I got to go. I got to make some. And then he's like, oh, and can you also make some for this friend, that friend, and the other friend? Because they all have heard how great it is and have seen it work so well. <laughs> so I'm like, yes, that is a success story. And I feel like yarrow is so great for that, like plantain too, for stopping bee stings and bug bites. It's like the gateway first aid herb into the whole realm of herbalism. And I think that yarrow is that way too, because... It's such a wonderful first aid plant. It's such a great anti-infective herb. It stops bleeding. It stops infection. It stops pain. It grows abundantly. It's super easy to make the remedy. And people are amazed at how well it works. So that's my Yarrow success story in general. What else have I been doing? I just, I was talking about harvesting all the mint and I'm sitting here in my office looking at my drying racks just full of mint because, you know, I have to cut it back from these gardens that I tend and I can't just compost all of this beautiful mint. So I'm going to have lots of mint tea this winter. Other things I've been doing in the garden are um, mulching with seaweed. So if you live 
near an ocean um, that has a lot of, we get a lot of bladder rack that washes up onto the beaches. And there's this one beach that's really easy to access by truck. And you can just really easily just load up the back of your truck with seaweed. And then I bring it and I've been mulching around um, orchard trees. So I'll, um, you know, weed whack and weed around the base of the tree. And then I will put a nice heavy layer of seaweed around, you know, the drip circle of the tree. Now you don't, when you mulch around trees, you don't want the mulch to actually come right up to the trunk of the tree. You don't want to cut off the circulation. You don't, so you want to mulch heavily around the tree, but leave space where the bark is. Otherwise you could potentially kill the tree. And then on top of the seaweed, I put a bunch of wood chips as well. So you have the seaweed is super high in nitrogen uh, based compost material and the and other mineral and lots of minerals, obviously. And then the wood chips are very high in carbon material. So when you're making compost you want to have, you know, close to equal amounts of really nitrogen rich and really carbon rich materials. So nitrogen is like food waste and green grass clippings and, you know, kind of really fresh living plant material. And the carbonaceous would be any sort of like brown leaves or um, wood chips, for example. And so I'm trying to remember back from college. I think what happens is the bacteria that break down the really tough carbonaceous material into soil, they feed on nitrogen. So you have to provide them with a lot of nitrogen so that they are able to um, be energized enough so that they can break down the carbon. That's from my memory. I, I don't know 100% if that's right, but that seems right to me. And that's why if you put a lot of, you know, a lot of wood chip mulch on top of your gardens or bark mulch on top of your gardens, it's really nice to also make sure you're feeding them um, nitrogen rich fertilizer or compost because in the long run, by putting a lot of mulch on gardens, it can draw nutrients away because the microbes really need the nutrients to break down the carbon mulch. So the seaweed and the wood chips is a really nice heavy mulch, provides a lot of nutrition. It gives the nice carbon to nitrogen ratio and it is a nice weed barrier as well as also keeping moisture in the soil. The seaweed's great for absorbing and holding moisture into the soil. And goldenrod is in bloom. It's almost coming to the end of its bloom. So if you haven't harvested your goldenrod yet, make sure you get out there and harvest some, especially if you're going to be drying it for tea. You want to harvest it just as the flowers are opening. You don't want to wait too long because once the flowers are fully open and starting to be you know, worked on by pollinators and 
are starting to die back, then when you cut down the flower and you bring it into your house to dry, a lot of times the flowers will just automatically still go through the process of creating seeds, even though they aren't attached by the root anymore. So your beautiful goldenrod flowers will dry and become these light, puffy seed heads of goldenrod. And I did do a episode, a detailed episode on goldenrod, which I really enjoyed. There's a lot of great information, a lot of great folklore um, last fall, I believe. So check that out if you haven't listened to that already. You could also make a goldenrod oxymel, which was, you know, if the flowers are already maybe too far to dry easily, then you can um, make a remedy with them that will preserve them, whether it's a tincture with 100 proof vodka or an oxymel where you would put honey and vinegar in a jar with the gold chopped minced goldenrod flowers. And those are great fall tonics. I really like goldenrod as a tea for relieving congestion for head colds in the winter. So if I feel in the winter like I'm starting to come down with some sort of congested sinuses or head cold, I go right to making a quart of nice strong goldenrod tea. And then I'll sip on it basically all day. And so I'll drink a whole quart of goldenrod tea in a day. And usually by the following day, my sinuses have cleared and you just have to be careful because sometimes I've overdone it and then it kind of dries out my sinuses too much. And then my sinuses aren't necessarily stuffy with mucus, but they have that kind of like dry, sore, irritated feeling to them. At which point, it's nice to have some sort of mucilaginous herb on hand that you can counteract with. So like a linden nourishing herbal infusion would be really nice for that. Anti-inflammatory, really soothing and healing to mucous membranes. So that's um, the whole, I like to use whole linden blossoms if you can find them. I know Frontier Co-op provides them. Or you could do cut and sifted linden, which is easier to find, linden flower, or sometimes it's called leaf and flower. And you put, weigh out half of an ounce and put it in a quart jar and then fill the jar with boiling water and let it steep for, you know, four to eight hours. So you get a really nice, long, nourishing herbal infusion and then strain it out and then drink that in a day. It's delightful. It tastes really sweet and mild and it's very soft and soothing and has a little bit of a slimy consistency to it, which is what you're really looking for. Sometimes people like to also just make linden in a tea strength, but I like to make it a little bit stronger than just a tea strength. And so talking, getting uh, along that line of nourishing herbal infusions, I, you know, in the height of the summer, life just gets so crazy and it's so easy to get off of common habits, everyday habits, weekly habits, like, I don't know, recording podcasts or making a daily nourishing herbal infusion 
which is something that, you know, I definitely ebb and flow with, but I notice when I start feeling really run down that I really start craving the nourishing herbal infusions. And so I just have to get back into the habit of making that evening infusion while I'm making dinner. I'll weigh out an ounce of either like dried nettle leaf, dried oat straw, dried red clover blossom, dried comfrey leaf, or dried linden blossom. I choose one of those herbs. Usually if I'm feeling run down, it's nettle (laughs) that really calls out to me. Or if my nerves feel really frayed and frazzled and I just feel really edgy and irritated, then oat straw is my gal. Um, If I'm feeling like inflamed and my muscles are sore and I feel like my immune system is being challenged, then linden is going to be my go-to. And if I'm feeling kind of hormonal or PMSy or like just feeling a little off or like I know that my period's going to be coming soon, then it's definitely red clover on the top of the list. But basically, I like to just incorporate all of them at least every week in an ideal situation. So if I feel like, oops, I got off my habit of making my infusions, I just start again. And I haven't lost anything from the infusions I've already ingested, but I can now get back on them, get back on the routine and really start caring for myself again in a healthful way. And I feel like fall is such a great time for that. It's a time where I also really start craving like meal planning and thinking about, you know, spending more time in the kitchen and what foods I want to make that are going to be healthy and make me feel really good and be really nourishing. So that's where I'm at these days. And I am glad that I'm getting back onto the pods. And thank you for sticking with me. And I hope that some new folks have found the podcast since I've been uh, taking a break and that you will look forward to hearing some new ones coming right at you. My goal is to do a weekly podcast again. And so subscribe um, so that you have those in your queue. That would be great. I'd appreciate that. The last thing I've been doing lately is I've been processing the herbs that I already dried that I you know, kind of clearing off. Well, I had to clear off my drying racks, so I had room for this massive amount of mint. But I finally have gotten around to like last night, just going on, taking the herbs off my drying rack. And if they needed to be stripped from stems, like I had a lot of sweet fern that I had cut back from a job. And that's on like really woody stems. So I had to strip all of those into a brown paper bag. Sweet fern tea is so nice. And it's also a nice herb to burn um, as incense. And so those all my dried herbs are now in brown paper bags labeled. And then those will go into a big um, 
plastic Tupperware bin just to so that they're air sealed and moths can't get into them. And then they'll be ready for tea, teas for through the winter. And the other thing on my drying rack right now, other than mint, is I have some gochu cola, which is an Ayurvedic herb that my friend grew in her greenhouse this summer. And she harvested what she needed, and she said I could take what was left because it was going to get cold soon, and it probably wouldn't survive any, you know, any sort of snap of cold. Can be grown as an annual here. So I did harvest uh, what was there and I dug some up and I put some in a pot. And I would really want to try to overwinter it, overwinter some of the plant in a pot, which I had done once before in my life, like 20 years ago, I think. And it makes a really nice hanging, like indoor plant because it's very viney. Um, it's like a ground vine. And it reminds, looks a lot like ground, ground ivy, actually, not the flower, but the leaf and the growth, growth nature to it. But so I'm going to try to overwinter it. And I kind of put a question out there on Instagram, if anyone else has done that. And someone responded who has an herb farm. Thank you if you're listening for responding. And they said that they do, they overwinter it in in pots inside, and then they plant it back out in the field in the spring, and then they can harvest, you know, it's a very prolific grower, so then they can harvest from it, and then pot it back up. So I harvested some gochu cola and chopped it up finely and put it in a small jar, like an eight ounce jar with some hundred proof vodka, because I want to try it as a tincture. And then I also just dried the rest of it for a nourishing herbal infusion. The gochu cola is, is a mild adaptogen it's a nutrient-rich plant, which is why I think it would make a good nourishing herbal infusion, but for more like the adaptogen properties and for really supporting brain function and circulation, I wanted to try it also as a tincture because I didn't have a whole lot of it. So I'll probably, as far as dried herb goes, I might have enough for one or two infusions. But I also want to give it a try as a tincture. Try it out. I haven't spent much time working with gochu cola. So I'm, it's a new one that I'm, um, you know, I, I did grow it as a plant before, but I've never really worked with it medicinally for myself. So that's a new one that is of interest to me, which I would love to do a podcast episode on in the near future. And looking forward to root digging season once it gets a little colder, probably after the first frost. Another funny uh, observation I just recently made was I went to a, a place where I, um, I last year, especially, there was a huge hawthorn berry harvest I was able to do from these trees. And I went back to them this year and there was almost no berries no fruit, no haws from the hawthorn. I don't know if the birds had already been there, but last year, I mean, like the ground was covered with the hawthorn berries. The birds were eating them like crazy and there were still tons. It was like 
it was the Hawthorne Berry year. And this year, I don't know what happened, but there's hardly any haws, Hawthorne Berries. So this is just very poignant to me because I think it's, and I have plenty of Hawthorne tincture, but I just wanted to check back on it and see how the plant was doing. And it's, you know, they say when you harvest herbs to think about harvesting enough for maybe two years because, you know, herbs are ready in cycles or they happen, they grow in cycles. And so one year might be like a really big hawthorn berry year. And the next year, maybe the frost, a frost comes late, all the blossoms get frosted and there's no hawthorn berries or who knows, like a big flock of birds come one year that don't usually come through and eat all the hawthorn berries or for whatever reason, the plant is just not producing. It's weird because there's also a mountain ash right next to the same hawthorn berry that usually has a lot of rowan berries on it. And also there weren't any berries on that rowan either. So just very interesting once you really know a place and you keep revisiting the plants that you are harvesting from and watching you begin you really can see the patterns not just from that one year but from year to year to year and you really gain a nice not only relationship with the plant but a relationship with the place that the plants are in and the birds and the other animals that depend on the plants or the environment, the weather patterns, it's all so interconnected and it really helps us, I think, when we work with wild plants that grow close to us and we really observe them, then we become really interconnected more so or at least our awareness of our interconnection grows with the place that we are in. So on that note, I think I will leave you. And again, I appreciate you so much for sticking with the pod, sticking with me and for welcoming me back. I couldn't and I wouldn't be doing this if there weren't people that were actually listening and enjoying to the podcast. So I really appreciate you. And you can find me. My name's Bridget um, and Soledago Herb School on Instagram, Facebook, my website, all with the tag Soledago Herb School. You can sign up for an informational and inspirational newsletter on my website, which I actually have not been sending out lately, but hopefully this winter, again, I'll have more time to send you some nice recipes and articles and information that will hopefully probably also link back to the podcast episodes. Thanks again so much for listening. Subscribe, rate, review. I would love it. Give me, give me some stars out there. I'd much appreciate it. I'm Bridget Doherty. Until next week, be well, let intuition guide you, and have fun with herbs. <laughs>